Welcome to Talent Talk Radio Show, brought to you by People G2, a company dedicated to helping all businesses with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving clients access to the best human capital, due diligence and background checks available on prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. To learn more, simply visit www.peopleg2. Today, we're privileged to have with us the founder and president of People G2, Chris Dyer. Hey, Chris. Good afternoon, and thank you for joining me. Again, my name is Chris Dyer, and I'll be your host for the next hour. In case you're tuning into this show for the first time, the Talent Talk radio show features a wide range of guests who care about talent or are uniquely talented themselves, or in many cases, both. On this show, we talk about talent in those two ways. First, as it relates to success and uncovering the secrets of really talented people. And second, we also talk about talent in relation to human resources and how HR leaders find the best candidates today. Hopefully that... uh Makes sense, and you see how that works. The word talent has two meanings in the business world, and this show really looks to explore those two areas. My guests include CEOs, entrepreneurs, HR executives, and today uh, business coaches from all different types of industries. And when I'm out at networking events and industry conferences and uh, CEO roundtables, I have the privilege of meeting inspiring leaders all the time. So I created this forum to allow you to listen in on our dialogue and hopefully learn some practical advice that will impact your own career in a positive way. Before I get to my guest today, I want to thank those of you tuning in live. Don't forget you can submit your questions via Twitter. Just tweet your questions to at peopleg2, hashtag talent talk, and my producer Mike will feed me the best questions and we'll try to work them into the show. Don't forget you can listen to the show via our podcast on iTunes as well as Android and subscribe to have the weekly show sent to you. This week, I think we surpassed, what was it, Mike, 13,000 now? 13,000 subscribers to our podcast feed, and we're really, really proud of that. So thank you. With that said, let's get today's show started. My guests are Brenda Williams, founder of Your Coaching Solution, and Uj Nath, chairman and CEO of MyKarma.com. Uj will be joining us in the second half of the show. So let's get to our first guest. Brenda, welcome, and thank you for being on the show. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here, Chris. So tell us about yourself and a little bit about your background and your company, Your Coaching Solution. Well, I'm the founder of Your Coaching Solution and the president, and I'm a board-certified professional coach and a master practitioner in energy leadership. Your Coaching Solution came about because I found a need in corporate America. I worked with small to large-sized companies for over 26 years here in Orange County, and I found they had a common need, and that was to find and retain good talent, as you well know, with Mm -hmm. the show that you have, and to be able to create more enthusiastic, engaged teams that were collaborative and excited to show up to work. And that's a challenge. I mean, we talk about that every single week here, about the different ways people try to engage worker or their or staff, find great staff, uh, have a culture that people can be committed to and enjoy. So that that's uh, fascinating that you kind of really dug into that right away. As a as a coach, you know, for for businesses and for even individuals looking in their careers over the last twenty years, what can you identify as maybe the most challenging thing that you've had to encounter? As you work with those people? Well, I think from a, if you look at it from an organization viewpoint, it's really finding a way to make your people feel valued and appreciated. 
so that they will show up to work enthusiastic. I actually was one of those people at one point in time that I felt like um, I needed more meaning, more purpose in life. I wasn't feeling appreciated in what I was doing any longer. So I wasn't as excited to go to work. Mm -hmm. And that's what started this journey for me over 12 years ago. So I've really practiced what I preached when I've gone through the work to become self-aware and find my passion. And I've been able to find a program that helps companies be able to do the same with their people, mm-hmm. create a more engaged team, make them feel more valued and appreciated. So how much of what you do, you know, when you're coaching someone on their business uh, really centers around the development and maintenance of talent and leadership within their companies? Well, most of what I do is helping people become better leaders of themselves and others. And that requires becoming aware, creating a self-awareness as to how you're showing up in life. And it really stems your personal and your professional business because you don't leave who you are at home it carries with you all day long Mm -hmm. and so a big part of what i do is create that self-awareness through an energy leadership program and an assessment so that people start realizing how they show up is that kind of a self-discipline type of a a scenario there that people aren't realizing you know maybe they're expecting everything of everybody else right but how you're saying how they're they're uh, applying that to themselves first has an impact on the business? Well, what happens is, as children, we grow up and we create certain belief systems and we become the adult that we are today. Mm -hmm. And that's who we are. It's our essence, our being. It's all we know. So we don't really realize how we're showing up in life. And so helping people learn who they are, how they view the world, and how the world views them is extremely important. I like to say to people, it's stepping outside of your box and it's taking off the filtered glasses that you use to view the world with and analyzing things from different perspectives and different vantage points. So do you find that there's resistance to that in the beginning? (laughs) It depends on the individual. You know, some people get to the point where they've only gone so far in life and they want more. They want to be more, do more, and have more. And they're not clear how to get there. Mm-hmm. So they, they start experiencing some frustration and some overwhelm and some disappointment, some negative emotions. I call that catabolic energy. And so when they get to that point in life where they really want to either grow their business or they want something in their personal life and they start having a passion for it, they're willing to step outside of the box and look in the mirror. Hmm. So for some of these executives you coach, you really kind of stress is a synergy of their personal life and their work life. What are a few of the things that make it difficult for business executives to find that balance? Well, these days, there's lack of resources inside companies. A lot of businesses are having one person do the job of two, and people become overwhelmed. There's just too much on their plate. So it's really taken a step back. I work with people to set boundaries and to create more life balance so they can eliminate stress and not overwhelm themselves by putting too much on their plate and really prioritizing you know, what's important and how do you delegate. Mm-hmm. And if you build the right team of people in your organization you, and they're all engaged and they're collaborative and they're looking at the solutions and the opportunities um, and they're there at 200%, not just sitting in the seats, but they're there engaged, life becomes easier. But there's a, a lot to balancing that out. Well, and that, it's certainly a difficult thing to do 
not only to get someone to maybe look in the mirror, right, to get them to change, and then to possibly get their team to be more engaged or to start taking on the, the those roles or maybe before they weren't allowed to or they were stopped or they were kind of thwarted in some ways, right? And that's people have, generally will complain that their staff isn't doing something, but they're not usually allowed to go and do it either. Mm-hmm. So when you kind of put all those things together, maybe you can share one of your coaching experiences that kind of stands out uh, above the others that maybe you're the most proud of or you saw the most change in? Well, I'm a big believer that communication and relationships really stems to our happiness and our success in life. And it doesn't matter if it's at home with your children, your spouse, or all the way into the business world, whether it's dealing with your employees or your superiors. We all have to communicate. We have to build incredible relationships if we want true happiness and success. And so I start with a story with someone I've coached recently who came to me after I did a webinar on how to have a difficult and fierce conversation because a lot of people will throw that stuff under the carpet and avoid it. Mm -hmm. Avoidance becomes a big part of life when it comes to that. So I taught him how to uh, create a roadmap and a strategic plan to have that difficult conversation to create the confidence that would come with that. And what happened throughout our coaching was he went from an angry, upset, um, overwhelmed person who would go to work with anxiety. It was affecting his health. And he, that's why he came to me. He just couldn't stand it anymore. Mm-hmm. And he knew he needed a change. When it starts affecting your health, it's time to do something about it. And so what happened, he went from working with someone who he despised um, and turned that relationship around by looking at the seven choices I provide in the energy leadership program. He was able to start going from releasing the anger and the anxiety to having more compassion passion, being more understanding of that person, all the way to starting to help that person implement certain technology to make life easier and more effective for that individual. But it all comes down to building that engaged relationship, finding out what's in it for the other person. What can you do to help and support them? And when you start reaching out to people and helping and supporting and being caring and giving and more compassionate, the world will change around you throughout the whole organization. And with that, he was able to inspire uh, some of the other people in the office that had some of that, what I call negative catabolic energy going around about this particular individual. And he was able to change the perspectives and take that negative energy out of the whole equation. That is really transformational inside a company when you can release that negative energy and that negative gossip and, and that, that whole environment that exists. Well, it's really amazing. It seems simple when we talk about it in this context of doing something for someone else, you know, to, to help them, right? And whether it's someone you're working with, someone you're partnering with, an, an employee, a potential customer, whatever it may be, you're actually doing something for them for no other reason than to help them. Mm-hmm. How much that changes the dynamic. And I think one of the important things that people forget, and this may not be the best reason to do it, but as human beings, we feel the need to reciprocate. And so if you're doing something nice for someone, you're trying to help them, then they're probably going to come back and try to help you when it's time instead of sabotaging or bringing in that negative energy or whatever it may be. And it almost seems so simple that people don't believe it. They don't do it. And we, we talk about it a lot with, with our clients, with our employees, with, with things that we're doing. And we see it all the time in the best companies. They're kind of out there almost altruistically trying to help people as their first point of contact 
And then, I mean, it sounds like you did too with your webinar. You were out there, did a webinar, and then someone saw something that they related to, and then they came to you, and and then you were able to help them back in return. So, is that is that kind of the one of the first things that you look for people to do, or or is it still more about themselves first than it is about attacking kind of the what's wrong? By being active, I guess that's my question, going out and doing something about it first. Well, I work with people to start viewing the world from different perspectives. And with the seven choices, seven levels of energy I have, you can either look at things from the negative edge, which creates more anxiety and stress, or you can look at things from a solution perspective with a win-win opportunity that creates success, joy, and happiness. And in some cases, pure bliss. Like people are actually excited to go to work when they get to that level Mm -hmm. because now they're working with a team of people where they all care about each other. They're connected. They have deeper, more enriched relationships. And so I've had people stay inside jobs because of the people they work with. It almost becomes their friends and their excited to be there and they work together towards a common goal and it becomes more exciting when they can deliver those projects and use their creativity and their innovation and come together as a team and when you can create that type of culture it helps companies reduce turnover increase morale and be more productive and that's what most companies are looking for is there something that you know most leaders or we could could talk about ceos but maybe we should just kind of simplify it and say leaders within an organization that you have coaches, are there things that they tend to do well or tend to really not do well that you kind of see as a, goes along with them being in a leadership role? Well, it's interesting because you have all types of leaders in the business world. Mm -hmm. And many people were put into leadership roles because they were good at a particular role or a job they had. But nobody, most of them were not taught how to be good leaders, Mm -hmm. how to inspire and motivate and um, make others feel valued and appreciated. I've worked with all different types of leaders and creating the awareness as to where they show up on these seven levels. And some are like at the top of the scale where they really, truly care about their people. They're totally engaged. They're passionate about their people. But in some cases, they're disconnected. Like they believe everything's wonderful in the company and they're not seeing what's really going on behind the golden curtain. Right. And then you have some leaders that are at the bottom end of the seven levels and they're the real negative, controlling, you know, it's my way or the highway. And we all know that's not working as well as it used to. <laughs> right. <laughs> you can keep people for a little while, but they won't stay with you long term. Especially not good people. Correct. <laughs> so it's really depending on the level they're at. It's helping them become aware of where they're showing up and the advantages and disadvantages and to be able to view things from all perspectives so they can truly see what's going on in the company. Who are the leaders that they have on their team and what do they need to do to help inspire them and help them to grow their skill sets to become more effective leaders because your first level of management and leadership is what really sets the culture and the organization. They're the people that are dripping down into the company and creating either an excited, engaged, enthusiastic team that's collaborative and happy to be there or they're spreading the we've got too much work to do, the stress and the overwhelm. And I'm seeing a lot more of that these days. Yeah, I mean, it definitely, if you have a piece of your management that, that's kind of broken, right, and especially if it's that first way, that first wall, that can really set the, the wrong tone for your culture. 
because that should be the where they're learning the best habits and the, and the best of your company. And maybe deeper down, it's a little bit more difficult to control or a little bit more difficult to, to implement the best of you. But certainly at the first few layers, you ought to have that down. <laughs> right. And and also having the leaders that get along, that play well in the sandbox. Mm-hmm. I had a client that had a manufacturing uh, company and the um, director of manufacturing and the director of engineering, they weren't playing so well together. Right. And that caused a lot of slowdown in their productivity. And it really held the company back last year. So it's really important to make sure that those leaders have synergy, that they're all on the same team, that they're there to support each other. And they find a way to really like each other. Mm-hmm. You think that is that what's important in the end? Do they end up liking each other as opposed to being able to work well together and respect each other? I mean, is it really that need to eventually like each other? Well, definitely respect each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think when I say like each other... There's a lot of different types of people in the world. Mm -hmm. It's really gaining an understanding. One of the things I do with my coaching is help them understand people. Now, some of us are very different and unique individuals. But if you go into relationships with more curiosity and you start really looking at individuals and being more curious as to why they are who they are and why they do the things they do. And sometimes in many cases, you understand their culture, their background, the world they came from when they were growing up. And so if you don't particularly like that person, you can come into it with a little more compassion when you start gaining an understanding of why they are who they are today. Mm-hmm. And if you're a great leader, you can turn that relationship around and try to help and inspire that particular individual to help them see new viewpoints and new perspectives and new understandings. Well, and that might be the one of the biggest challenges of a leader is to be able to get others to let go of some of their prejudices and their walls that they have, right, either about themselves or... You know, it could be about how they're being perceived, whatever. If a leader can get those people to kind of make some changes, that, that's pretty, that's pretty important and, and, and not that common, I don't think. Well, and many people, they don't even see those walls. It's how they've been their whole adult life. So to them, that's the norm. They don't even realize they have the walls up or they have certain things about them that might show up negative in a meeting or the energy might not be quite as positive as it could be. And that's what I love about my energy leadership program. The assessment that I provide to people shows them how they show up in the world through their thoughts and their emotions and their behaviors. So now they really gain a perspective. They get clarity on how they show up and they get clarity on how they show up when life's going smoothly and how they show up when they're under stress. They get two different perspectives Mm -hmm. and then they really get an understanding as to how others view them in the company. It goes into their personal life as well. If someone gets along really well with his wife and his family and he comes to work in a great mood, he's usually a little more positive and happy when he shows up in that meeting. Right, right. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, it's amazing how much a negative home life or distresses at home will affect somebody at work mm-hmm. because they've escaped from it. But then again, they're thinking about it. It's it's really eating away at them and their interactions with other employees. Uh, your customers or vendors are all impacted Absolutely. in a huge way. Mm-hmm. You know, kind of what you're talking about reminds me of a few times we've, we've had to do this at our offices, but... Also, a few times in kind of a conflict resolution standpoint, or in, I've been asked to help people kind of resolve some sort of dispute or disagreement. And one of my favorite ways to do it is just to sit the people down and say, okay, let's say it's 
Tom and John, you know, Tom, what is John mad about? And then tell John what is Tom, and they don't ever get to say what they want to say. Mm-hmm. They have to just say what the other person's going to say. And immediately they both are on the same page and they immediately realize that where they were wrong and where their faults were. And, you know, instead of, they had to take, like you said, take their, those glasses, rose colored glasses off, put the walls down and suddenly have to exist that way. People can make a, some pretty big transformations. It's so true. It's really gaining clarity and understanding as to how the other person is feeling and thinking. And we don't like to talk about emotions in the business world, but they're truly there. Mm -hmm. And when you start peeling back the onion and understanding how people feel, it can make a big difference. Because if they feel great, they're going to show up that way. And so I actually do uh, lunch and learns and webinars on how to become aware of your four energy blocks. And they're creating uh, the limiting beliefs we've created, the interpretations and the assumptions we make all the time in the world, especially in business meetings and uh, the gremlins that we have. But it's very interesting when people start uh, understanding what those are and looking at where do I make assumptions and where are my interpretations based on how I view this business or this company or this particular project? And that comes across clearly, I'm sure, when you're doing your little exercise. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely. Well, we're, we're getting uh, close to the end here. I want to make sure that we uh, ask one of our favorite questions of, of our guests, and that is, what are you reading right now? Well, actually, I'm reading the Energy Leadership book for the second time. Okay. And it's all about a a failing company that's going downhill because they have a lot of negative catabolic people in the company. And it uh, shows that with the Energy Leadership coaching process, how you can turn the attitudes and the behaviors around inside an organization. And you can flourish if you have the right attitudes inside a company. So it's an amazing book. It's one of the reasons I did this whole Energy Leadership program. It was after you read the book and you were kind of inspired from all of that? Absolutely. It totally inspired me. Funny, because my mind, immediately when you say this energy thing, I'm thinking of like chakras and little jewels and stuff. And <laughs> I'm sure it's much more serious than that. It sounds like it could be really transformative for companies to be able to look at things in those different ways and really analyze how they're impacting their company, how the company's impacting them, and how all those little pieces of you know, interactions between person to person, department to department, leader to, to employee or whatever, um, can really, really change the company, good or bad. Absolutely. Right? The world is made up of energy. Einstein proved that. And we all vibrate of energy. And if we're thinking terrible thoughts and we show up in a meeting, it comes across. Have you ever had that person oh, yeah. show up in the meeting oh, yeah. that you really wish hadn't showed up that day? Uh-huh. <laughs> And then you have someone that shows up and they just wake up and light the room and they get people excited and inspired. And that's what I mean by energy. It comes through our thoughts and our emotions and it shows up in the world. Right. Absolutely. Really appreciate you being on the show. I wanted to make sure we let all the listeners know if someone wants to get a hold of you, wants to learn more, what's the best way for them to do that? Well, visiting my website is a good way at yourcoachingsolution.com. And that's singular, Y-O-U-R, coaching solution, S-O-L-U-T-I-O-N.com. Or you can always call me at 714-283-1186. Brenda, thank you so much for being our guest on the Talent Talk radio show. It's been a pleasure having you, and hopefully you can come back and give us some more lessons another day. <laughs> thank you for the invitation. It was a pleasure. Ujnath is up next after we take this quick commercial break. 
When it comes to pioneers in their respective industries, we all know the Apples, Starbucks, and Trader Joe's of the world. In the realm of recruiting, Decision Toolbox is the industry's best-kept secret. With 90% of their business from referrals and repeat customers, for over 20 years, Decision Toolbox's U.S.-based team of recruiters, sourcers, professional writers, quality personnel, and tech support has perfected a Six Sigma approach to talent management. No matter the size of the project, Decision Toolbox delivers incredible results, a cost per hire less than half of what contingency firms charge, with the winning candidate presented in an average of 14 days, all with a 12-month candidate warranty. With results like that, Decision Toolbox won't be a secret for long. Visit us at www.dtoolbox.com for more information. And let's give a shout-out to People G2, a company founded in 2001 that's dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions. They do that by giving them access to the best human capital, due diligence, and background checks available today on all your prospective candidates, business partners, tenants, and more. People G2, recently named one of the best places to work in Orange County, as well as one of the fastest-growing privately held companies here in Orange County by the Orange County Business Journal, has also been recognized in the Inc. 5000 list of fastest-growing privately-owned companies nationwide. A lot going on there. You owe it to yourself to check out People G2. It's pretty simple. Just go to www.peopleg2.com. That's People G2. And find out more. Imagine what it would feel like to lose everything. Your job, your home, your family, your dignity. This has happened to thousands of the men, women, veterans, and young adults we serve at Working Wardrobes. What do we do to help? We provide career development services, life skills workshops, job skills training. We provide the perfect interview outfit, and we get clients placed in jobs. Call Working Wardrobes, 714-210-2460. Donate, volunteer, invest, hire. And now let's head back to Chris and his next guest. Welcome back to the Talent Talk Radio Show. Just a quick reminder, you can subscribe to the podcast of this show or listen to past shows by visiting octalkradio.net and clicking on the Shows tab and, of course, clicking on Talent Talk. In uh, the time we've existed, we've already amassed a huge following. We talked about it earlier, about uh, over 13,000 subscribers to our uh, podcast on iTunes and Android, and we really appreciate it. My next guest is Ujnath, the chairman and CEO of MyKarma.com. Don't forget to tweet your questions live right now for him by sending them to at PeopleG2, hashtag Talent Talk. Right, let's go ahead and get started. Uj, welcome to the show. Thanks, Chris. <coughs> Who am I speaking with? This is Chris, right? This, this is Chris. Yeah, great. <laughs> hey, thanks for having me on the show. Oh, I appreciate you being here. So you know, you've been a part of, of many great companies. Maybe you can tell us a little bit about your latest company, MyKarma.com. Yeah, thanks, Chris. MyKarma.com is a cloud-based software company that improves the interaction between consumers and their automobile dealerships just at the time when they're getting repairs or getting maintenance, you know, that critical one-day period. Uh, most of the times, I, I'm sure you've got your car repaired, you can't figure out where it's at, whether it's been repaired, when you're going to collect your car. So we help with allowing the service riders to text or call from a single number at the dealership bi-directionally. And we improve the experience exponentially for customers who are 
you know, working with dealers that have MyKarma.com. In addition, we'll let you pay on your smartphones before you come in to collect the car, save you time there too. So you're saying that I take my car in and I'm having something done at the dealer and then I can get a text when it's done so I know what's going on. I can even pay right then through that module instead of waiting for them to call or what usually happens me calling them every hour after about 3 o'clock to try to find out what's going on. Exactly. I mean, you'll, and more, more importantly, when something changes or you want to know something, you text the dealership and you avoid the phone trees, the long holes, the missed calls, and you get your status in a second. That's great. And about how many dealerships do you have, uh, or, or and, and companies in general, you know, already on your platform? So we went into general release last year at the National Auto Dealers Convention in February of 2013. We have 70 dealers up and live right now on our platform, and we hope to be in about 300 dealers by the end of this year. So how has your experience, uh, you know, CEO of MyKarma.com and kind of being in the startup mode been different than your other experiences from previous companies? Well, you know, the bulk of my experience as a CEO has come from a company that I founded prior to this, which I sold to Snap-on Tools. It was a professional services company, so in a sense, we sold hours, hours of our talent, you know. So uh, the biggest challenge in that business was that, you know, starting the first of the month, every month, we had to get on the treadmill to bill our hours and, and make sure that all our people were engaged, we were selling enough work. So it was a very different focus. A lot, a lot of time spent keeping your people busy. Right. The current company is a product company, and here what we are focused on is customer acquisition because we've got a recurring revenue model. And what we pay attention to is um, the monthly recurring revenue. And here you have to you, you have to focus on talent too, but the talent is very very uh, much smaller than the last company. Last company had 300 employees. Here we had 30 employees, but uh, we have the scope to be just as profitable as my last company with about 50 employees. So, how how do you think that you know you're you've grown professionally, kind of going from that atmosphere to where you are now, as far as you know becoming the type of leader that you are today? Well, I, I think the experience of managing up to 300 people teaches you a lot about just talent, right? And in the end, you know, I, I used to have a joke, which I found later on that, um, you know, some of the big company CEOs share with me, that your market cap goes to zero every night. All your talent, you know, sort of drives home. Um, so you have to know how to motivate your people. You have to keep your turnover extremely low, and you have to hire the smartest and the most, you know, the most compatible people within your organization, and then build a culture of winning. And uh, Sincara helped me learn that. I made a lot of mistakes. I overhired. I had to lay people off uh, during the downturn. And this company were much more focused on building a small but nimble team using all the same leadership uh, lessons that I learned in my last company, you know, to lead by example, hire smart people, listen to them, you know, not, there's no idea that's too small, uh, and a whole host of other things. So what was the most 
critical thing for you to develop in order to start achieving your overall plan then when you, you know as this was a startup and certainly different you said product versus you know selling a cloud-based solution to someone is a lot different than selling these kind of billable hours of people so where do you, where do you kind of put as being your most critical development to, to kind of being successful the most critical development actually I learned in my last company, we did a very large engagement for Toyota where we redid their new vehicle distribution program. Um, a, a part of it, it was a, a very large engagement. We had about uh, 100 people on that project. And one of the things I learned in that project was that you couldn't, you couldn't take second-hand experience and build a piece of software that people would use. And that the, the Japanese actually call Genchi Genbutsu, which is part of the Toyota production system. And it means go to the place and see for yourself. In this company, that is a fundamental tenet of ours. So we have observed service advisors at dealerships for probably combined 1,500 hours and then use that experience to sort of figure out what kinds of tools we need to give them to save them time, to increase their productivity, and to uh, in, improve, you know, increase their customer satisfaction. So the biggest, I'd say the biggest difference is this intense focus on your customer and trying to experience that firsthand and then designing that back into your software. So you have kind of this this great idea and this this great product that you have ready to go, and you've you've done your research. You kind of mentioned this intensity of really making sure that it's going to work and it's going to be applicable where where you want to have it delivered. But then that kind of gets into okay w- w- within your team, were there particular job types or or people that you had to bring in that were really pivotal to the success of your company that were maybe the hardest to fill that were you know you knew were were going to be a challenge or knew we were going to be very, very pivotal, and, and, and so you really had to take some time to find the right, the exact right person? Well, you know, I, I was kind of lucky. I mean, I had the experience. I knew some of the mistakes I'd made in the past. So in my mind, I, I had three legs of this triangle. One was sales, marketing, business development. The other was product engineering and support. And the third was administration, you know accounting, finance, HR, and uh, what I did was for my last company, I bought in two guys who I respected a lot and made them my partners, and each one of us occupied one of those slots, so that got us launched, and obviously being an entrepreneurial company, we wear many hats, so we interchange our roles a lot, but essentially I filled those three slots before I did anything else. Mm-hmm. So once you kind of got those set, then you felt like after that it was well, easy might be the wrong word, but those were the kind of the three biggest areas where you really had to, to tackle and then you could move forward from there. Yeah, from a talent standpoint, that was the biggest fundamental building block. The second building block was customer acquisition. So uh, we have a term called the teacher customer. So we acquired two dealerships who were our teacher customer. We made a deal with them that they had to invest time and they would get a break in the software price, but we would pilot our software and learn on their experience for about a year. And we did that for almost a whole year before the product was, I'd say, battle-tested enough to be released into the general marketplace. Mm-hmm. Well, it certainly seems like you have a lot of passion uh, for this product. Do you think that 
you know, loving what you do really helps drive your success? Absolutely. I, you know, the number of obstacles you hit, the roadblocks you hit, and some of the highs that you get when you have success, I mean, it can take a toll on you. If you're not passionate about what you do, it's going to be very hard to exude the leadership that you need to. You know, the other people in the company are looking to you, and they, you set the tone. So if you're, you know, if you come into work every day as just another day, it, it, you, you're going to send the wrong message to your people. Uh, we work extremely hard, and all of us love what we do. Uh, we have a culture of fun, and, you know, we don't clock hours. People get their jobs done. They can work from home, work at the office. We try and make it as easy as possible for people to work at our company. Well, in just a short time we've talked here, and, of course, we've talked many times before, but you've demonstrated quite a bit of uh, of knowledge in, in a lot of different areas from different techniques and ways in which companies are successful and implement. Suffice to say that you probably have spent some time working on your own specific skills and techniques to make sure that you are the best leader you could be or CEO that you could be, uh, entrepreneur that you could be. Is there maybe a specific skill or technique that you feel maybe really contributes to your role now, but that was something that wasn't natural for you that you really had to work on over time? And if there is, and maybe you could kind of explain to us how you, how you went from point A to point B with that. You know, I'm an engineer by training, and I apologize, I have a little bit of a cold here. Uh, I'm an engineer by training. So an engineer, uh, the challenge with an engineer is every time you give them a problem, they want to solve it. Unfortunately, there's a, a step before solving a problem, and that is evaluating whether that problem is worth solving. And tra- loosely translated, that's the ability to say no or the ability to focus and stay laser-focused. Um, you know, you, you, when we sold our software to the first pilot dealers, everybody wanted something or the other extended or built, and, and we made a few mistakes. But one of the things we learned very quickly is those mistakes, small mistakes of just spreading yourself out can really undermine your success long term. So the ability to focus is, I think, very critical for startup companies at least, so that you don't become all things to all people and nothing to anybody. Mm-hmm. Well, and that's certainly a very important thing to do, especially for a leader, if to make those distinctions and maybe even for the things that are important, even that on that level to still be able to push them down to other people to take care of. So you in that leadership position can have that laser focus you talked about. I'm wondering if there was maybe someone that uh, impacted you, you know, from a leadership development standpoint, uh, you know, some point in your career or, or as a child. Is there someone that you might point to that really had an impact on you in your leadership development? Well, I mean, uh, there, there are many people that have impacted me, but the two most notable are one was my father, who was very, very instrumental in, in shaping people management skills for me. At his peak, he had 29,000 people reporting to him, and, and uh, you know, I, I observed him on a daily basis. He's an engineer like me, and that basically set the tone for me as to how people need to be dealt with, where you have to be firm, etc. On a more sort of recognizable level, I would encourage everybody to go look at Colin Powell's rules of leadership. They're, pre, they're very, very simple. They almost make so much common sense 
that's one of the reasons why they're brilliant. Uh, and and I think uh, I think if you Google Colin Powell rules of leadership, you'll find it. I use that also as a, some as a sort of compass for myself. Every now and then I go back, look at that presentation, and and make sure I'm sticking true to it. Well, and, and over the years, you have recommended quite a few different uh, great books and resources uh, to me. So I'm wondering, uh, what are you reading right now? Maybe you can tell us a little bit about that book. I have to tell you, I've been so busy that I haven't been reading too many books. <laughs> you know, recently, uh, my daughter, uh, who took a sabbatical from Stanford for a year and has been traveling the world, came back and said, Dad, you've got to read Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg. So that's the next on my list. And I literally have just read the introduction, so I can't talk too much about it. But I guess one of the reasons why I want to do that is I'm surrounded by three women in my life. I got two daughters, my wife, and and it's important to understand how you know 50% of our population ticks, and we take them for granted. So I'm looking forward to reading the book, and you know. And the book, the book was called Lean In. Yeah, uh, it's by Charles Sandberg, the CEO of Facebook. Okay. It's lean in or leaning in. I, I forget exactly what it is, but if you Google it, you'll find it. And does that have anything to go back to, like the lean ideas with Toyota, or is that more lean, like you're actually? Oh, it's physically... lean in, meaning if you're a woman, lean in and get your share of what's happening. Ah, okay. okay. Don't don't be shy, you know. And what my daughter explained to me is that you know men naturally do stuff that women don't do naturally, and her whole point is. You know, you got to lean in and get your share, mm-hmm. and nobody's going to give it to you. Yeah, that's an important lesson for 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 anybody. So, you know, what advice might you have for our, our listeners today that are looking to develop the talent that they ha- currently have? You know, how do they get the most out of each person? I'll tell you my formula. By the way, my formula may not apply to everybody; they may not agree with it. So, I have some rules. One is. I test everyone, and by that I don't mean they sit down and take a test on pen and paper, but, you know, I'll ask them very, very abstract questions like, you know, give me the square area of all the baseball fields in the United States, all the major league baseball fields in the United States. And, and the idea there is not that there is a right or a wrong answer. I want to see how they react to it. In, in life, whenever you're given an abstract problem, one of the first things you start doing is you start qualifying it, right? You say, okay, are you talking about just the major cities? Are you talking about all the cities? Are you talking about North America, which means Canada and the U.S.? And so, you know, you start qualifying the problem down, and if people react that way, you know they've got a logical mind. Um, The other thing is, you know, the power of three is better than the power of two is better than the power of one. So I get everybody in my company to interview people. And and, and this is sort of talking about how you let them in the door. And then there's a second process that takes them through mentoring once they're in the door. Um, So I always hire by consensus. I look for people who are, you know, who are open-minded. And I... I try and educate all my employees to look for that kind of a trade. And then I set the expectations early, saying, hey, this is not all going to be, you know, fun and roses. There will be some nights where you're working really hard, staying up till 2 a.m. in the morning, etc. And the final thing is I always go ask the lowest person in our company as to how they were treated when they were interviewed or when they interviewed the person. Sometimes I'll get a vice president to be interviewed by an analyst and 
if the vice president candidate talked down to that analyst, then you know that that's not a good cultural fit. So, you know, finding a cultural gatekeeper. In my last company, it used to be the receptionist. I don't have a receptionist in this company, so it's really the junior most person in my company. And I, I make sure that they were very collaborative with that person. They treated him with respect or her with respect. And so that's how you let them in. And then once they're in, then it's your job to mentor them, to find the gaps, do performance appraisals regularly, not some bureaucratic process, but once a quarter or even once a month, just taking them out to lunch, giving them feedback, in as much as possible being direct and not being sort of uh, wishy-washy in your feedback. So direct with examples, with corrective behavior, and you continue to do that, and then putting people in roles where they have to stretch. So if you're a really junior guy and I make you my marketing manager, well, you got to stretch a lot, and you got to learn a lot of new things. But the advantage of that is that the person is also very fulfilled, learns a lot, and sometimes comes up with ideas that you would not normally expect. So kind of given that, that process that you have, which is a bit unique and, and maybe a little bit involved, does that make it harder for you to to find top talent or do you think that that really narrows it down in a way that makes it a lot easier for you to find that top talent when you want to bring somebody in it starts off by being harder because you you're very selective right so what happens is you know a lot of people come and you don't hire them and you know it's tougher because you need the people as you're growing but you're being more selective but the moment you get a few people in and they're really good what happens is they start spreading the word and they become your your sources for new hires. And obviously if you've got the right cultural fit and they're bright guys and they tend to do, you know, have a, a good work ethic, then the kind of people they'll refer to you are the kind of people that you want coming into your organization. And of course, we use your service, for example, to do an effective screen up front, right? We make sure that everybody's background is checked and we we make sure that the people that we're letting in because it's a it's a long commitment for us we don't take it lightly when you let somebody into your company you're responsible for them and you need to make sure they're mentored and they get to the next level and whatnot so you want to make sure it's really difficult to get in and it is initially but once you get over the initial hump then you find that there are lots of people being referred into your company mm -hmm. one of the things i remember about your company is that not only are you remote but you've also got people who are you're not even not in the same time zone or the same country that are collaborating on on, on your overall product. Is that correct? That's correct. So we have uh, almost an equal population working out of our, one of our development centers in India, and so you know we use the same formula there. We hire the best and the brightest. There, um, fortunately, we have been able to hire straight out of colleges. So. We hire very young folks who are very good computer science engineers, and and we basically mentor them, train them, and make sure that they work on our product. And sometimes we'll hire them before they graduate from college. They'll be interns from, you know, from the sophomore year onwards. So how do you deal with a creative process or the or brainstorming effectively when you have people that are in completely different time zones, different cultures, uh, you know, and working apart? How, how do you deal with that? Well, it's hard. It's very hard because, you know, one of the things that the guys working out of the India office lack is a context to how 
work is done here in the U.S. One of our top developers in India has never seen a credit card. He never uses a credit card. And he has developed a whole credit card processing module. So obviously we've fed him a lot of information. I've been there many times. We're planning to bring him here to the U.S. So we do a lot of cross-border traffic, and we make sure that our folks out of our India office learn everything there is to know about the U.S. market. We do a lot of education by going back to India, holding seminars, and telling them what, what happens here in the U.S., and then continuously getting on conference calls every night using tools like join.me, where you're sharing screens, you're sharing video. We do a lot of videotaping here that we will turn into YouTube videos and send back to our India folks for them to take a look at so they understand what the environment's like here. Hmm. They kind of get that, uh, I forget the, the term that you used earlier, the Japanese term, but so that they get at least some level of going and experiencing them for themselves through, through that video that they can see it and hopefully understand that even if they haven't ever used a credit card. Yeah, right. And, and precisely. And then how is the dealership laid out here? Here the dealerships tend to be very wide and, you know, with a lot of real estate. The corresponding dealership in, in New Delhi is landlocked. There's barely any space. So it's a very different environment. So when they see a video and they see the way that the flow works, you know, it opens their eyes up. And then we try and do as much education as we can. We bring them over here. So four of the developers out of our India office have spent a whole summer here working with us. We took them out to the dealerships. They stood in the service drive on a Saturday morning watched the traffic, looked at what it looked like, looked at how difficult the process was, and, and some of the, some of our good ideas actually have come out of those four. Yeah, uh, it sounds like a great way to, to, to do that if you have the, the ability to to collaborate with your, your staff that way. Just about out of time, I wanted to make sure that we can uh, let everyone know if you can, how can people reach you if they're interested in learning more about your product or, or having you uh, come and work with them? Well, uh, you can always tweet me. My Twitter handle is U-J-J-N-A-T-H. That's my first name, last name. Or you can send me an email at uj at mykarma.com. Well, great, Uj. I want to thank you very much for being our guest today. Uh, it was really great. Hopefully you can come back and give us an update at some point on uh, how your product is working and how your company is growing. Well, thank you, Chris. Thank you for giving me this opportunity, and good luck to you. And would love to come back on the show in a couple of years to tell you how it all went. Fantastic. That's about all the time we have today. Thank you again to my special guests, Brenda Williams and Ujnath. Tune in next week at the same time, 1 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, for Talent Talk, brought to you by People G2. To hear Bree Valentine, uh, EVP of Unified Dispatch, and Albert Donahue, CEO of IPSP Global Financial Services. Until then, do what you love and show the world how talented you can be today. You've been listening to Talent Talk Radio Show brought to you by People G2, dedicated to helping clients with their people-related decisions.